The following message is from First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. For more information about our church, please visit us at firstpresbyterian.sf.org. Let's turn to God's Word now. Let's turn to God's Word. We ask ourselves a question every week about God's Word. Why do we trust these texts? Why are we reading them? What is the, why do we turn to God's Word? Will you read that? Would you read that to, uh, to, uh, to me? Uh, it's written from John. For he who God has sent sees the words of God, for he is the Spirit of God. Yitzhak! Yitzhak! We have a Yitzhak. You know that. What's the name I'm using? Yitzhak is the Hebrew way you say Isaac. I think it might even be onomatopoeia. Think about it. Do you hear it? Yitzhak. It kind of sounds like a laugh. Because Yitzhak means laughter. Laughter. That's Abraham's son's name. Laffy. Can you imagine having a name Laffy? Chuckles. Hey, Chuckles. How you doing? That's pretty much what his name was. Chuckles. I can imagine there were tons of jokes about him. He was laughter. You know, it's funny. His mom laughed when she heard she was going to have a baby. It wasn't a laughter of joy. It was a laughter of scorn. His dad laughed when he heard he was going to have a baby because that was just wonder. So how fitting when your dad and your mom both laughed that we're going to call you laughing. Chuckles. Yitzhak. Almost sounds like a cackle, doesn't it? And Isaac has a very powerful place in the whole story of the Bible. Now, I'm going to be talking a lot about the whole story of the Bible. And if, if you have a hard time kind of locating it, that I'm, I'm assuming and I'm claiming and I'm going to present to you that God has been slowly but surely across many thousands of years through story and event and words written, moving his agenda, moving his purposes, moving his love, moving his work, and doing what we read last week. John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and truth, because God is what? God is seeking such And so what I'm attracted to, and the reason we have come now to Genesis chapter 22, some three and a half thousand years ago now, is we are going to look at this summer, worship. And the word worship is in your text. It's in this this passage. I think it's, I can't remember which verse it is. We're going to read it. And I'm going to do is we're going to turn now to this text. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Isaac. And we're going to read this together. It's the first time that the word worship is used in the Bible. Right here in Genesis chapter 22. Okay, so Isaac, 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 laughing, chuckles. What's chuckles all about? Isaac is a promise. His wife's body was 75 years old. 75-year-old women don't have babies, not usually. In fact, I can't imagine a whole lot of 75-year-olds that do what is necessary to have a baby. But they're doing that. There's miracles everywhere in this story. 
So Abraham and Isaac still have a living sexual relationship. That's a wonderful story itself. But then beyond that, though, she had been barren. She had been unable to conceive. And God had given speaking promises to her. And what did I say? Thank you. Thank you. All right. So... You can imagine how many things came into my mind to say something. I stopped all of it. It's a tremendous discipline for me to not say something that jumps into my head. But he's a child who has been promised himself, but he's also a child of promise. In other words, God has said to his dad in Isaac, and through him and through his children's children, there will be blessings for everybody, blessings for the whole world, blessings for the universe. That big. So big you can't even hold them all together. You can't even count them. I'm going to bless you so much through Isaac. And so this story, when we come to this story, it strains us how arresting, how troublesome. This story is wrong. The story is dark. Because the child of promise, through whom promise would come, God's, wait, I'm going to read it. Maybe you don't know it, maybe you do. As I read it, I'm going to annotate it. And I want to, so I'm going to read it fairly slowly. Because the Hebrew actually is, this Hebrew, first time in Genesis, the story gets very personal. It's very, details are here. All sorts of live detail about, from an eyewitness, I believe, to this account. I wonder who reported this. Was it Isaac? I don't know how hard it was for him to tell the story. But you must walk into how dark the story is and what a riddle it is. Otherwise, you will not understand the invitation to worship. All right. Let's walk into darkness together. I'm serious. This is a walk into darkness. We're walking into the ancient world now. And let's begin. The narrator is omniscient. Do you notice that? The narrator is omniscient here. Take a look. What do I mean by he's omniscient? What's an omniscient narrator? An omniscient narrator can tell you what people are thinking. They can tell you about the story behind the story. And look at the way it starts. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, right away, the narrator's telling you that this story winds up okay. You know right away. It's a test. You know right away. But Abraham doesn't seem to know this. Now, there's a lesson there about Often you are being tested and you don't necessarily know when or can't see it yourself. But that's another part of the story. We're going to be challenged about what to do with the story as we look at it. But, so anyway, the narrator is telling you this is a test so you can relax. You can take a breath. Because this is frightening. And anybody who has been a parent, this is doubly frightening. And it doesn't take much for you to imagine, even if you're single, just how terrifying this is. And he said to him, Abraham. Now, it doesn't tell us how God spoke. And the text never really tells us what that voice sounds like or literally appeared. It doesn't really, all that's gone now. And there's something bare and very naked about the dialogue. And you'll see what I mean. And he said, here I am. It's going to be repeated two more times. Here I am. What does that mean? Here I am. What is this availability to God? He said, this is God, take your son, 
your only son. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Only language? It should. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You happen to know this mountain. Do you know what this mountain is? It's the mountain of Jerusalem. Moriah. Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. This is long before there's a city there. This is thousand years. Not quite. It's about seven or eight hundred years before there's going to be a city there. And 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 he goes, and so that's weird itself, and Temple Mount. That's all sorts of weird things already. But I want you to hear this. God has not merely asked him. And now you go back inside there. Go back inside there. Go back in there. No. Little troublemaker. All right. Uh, All right. Mount Moriah. Oh, not only does he have to kill him, he has to burn the body. Did you catch that? Not only does he have to kill him, he's being told by God. To burn the body. There's no way you could possibly get inside the head of a man who realizes what he's just been asked. And everything he's going to do is to do is to accomplish that purpose now. And I, the text does not tell you what he's thinking. I'll let you imagine So Abraham rose early in the morning. Some commentators have said, don't you see his enthusiasm, not enthusiasm, but his, his willingness. His, he gets up early to obey God. And I think that's a very foolish reading of the text because I know exactly why he's up early. He hasn't slept. And if you don't realize it, you don't, you don't know what it's like to weep over a child and wonder. Saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And his son laughter. You feel that? Because there's no laughter, is there? There are no chuckles. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, three days he's walking, three days he's knowing, three days he's plotting, three days he talks to laughter, knowing this is the last time he's going to talk to him, or imagining so. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, which makes sense that mountain is very visible. And very prominent. That's why they built a city there. Then Abraham said to his young men, and notice this is, a, this is an odd turn of phrase. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. The small plurals. He tells these men, I'm going to go. He, they don't know why. Isaac doesn't know why. But he talks as if both he and Isaac are coming back. The debate, can you imagine? 
stealing to do this deed. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So Isaac is old enough to carry a bundle of wood. He's, he's, uh, he's of age. And he took in his hand and fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Now I know some detail, and I maybe it's quiet. I'm confused. Isaac has seen his dad sacrifice. Three altars have gone up before this. Three altars, at least, recorded in the Bible. Three times uh, Abraham has made an altar that the, the Bible tells us about. And Isaac knows the drill. You notice that he knows. He knows. He knows what dad's doing. Hey, Dad! Father, he says. And what does Abraham say? You hear the echo? He's kind of reduced here. The same thing he said to God. Here I am. I almost wonder if he he hopes God's listening. Do you know what his name, you know the name he gave God in, 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 in Genesis 16 is? La Roy, the God who sees me, the living God who sees me. That's what he called God, the living God who sees me. And he said, here I am, my son. And Isaac says, well, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? You always have a lamb, Dad. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And you picture the knife going back into his own heart. The pain he realizes. He's not... He's... He doesn't say... What's he, what is he going to say? What is he going to say to your own son? Well, listen to what he says. God will provide for himself. He doesn't even say for me, he he doesn't even say for me. Doesn't, he doesn't even say for himself. He said, God will provide for himself. Oh, so beautiful. He's not even thinking of himself in this moment. The lamb for a burnt offering, my son. This word, son, is used ten times. In ten times it's repeated. It's unusual for them, even in the Hebrew. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, stone by stone. I almost picture him doing it a little slowly, a little stalling time, maybe a little more time with my son before it's done. He laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. Now listen. This is, you know what the rabbis call this passage? Akedah, the binding. Because you see, Isaac had to voluntarily let himself be bound. Because his dad's in his 90s. Is there any conversation? You see, the text is so stark. It's so, it's so stark. It doesn't give you, like you can imagine all the byplay, the looks back and forth, the tears, the, the trembling, the, oh my goodness, the determination, the confusion in Isaac's eyes. What, what are you doing, Dad? 
Abraham built the altar there and laid the wooden order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. This is unusual in Hebrew narrative. This whole vignette is being, you hear the tension mounting. It's building up. And what happens? Abraham, Abraham, twice. What does he say? He said first time. What are you going to say? He doesn't know. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was behind him was a ram caught in a thicket, and by his horns. And, 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 and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the tears are flowing now? Oh. So Abraham called that place. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place what? The I am will provide Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the I am, it shall be provided. And the angel of the I am called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the I am, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This this message is very, very concise. It's about worship. It moves in three parts. First, the darkness. Second, faith in the darkness. And third, a substitute in the darkness. It's very common. You may have been raised in many traditions in the church where Old Testament stories are used, they're mined, they're told as moral examples. Did you grow up with that at all? Kind of a Sunday school kind of, some many people did. And there's many sermons out there, many pastors have preached many sermons for many thousands of years, taking stories of the Old Testament, taking in the wonderful amount of stories that are available in the Old Testament and mining them, using them as illustrations as perhaps a call to compelling obedience or some moral story. What is the moral story here? Tell me if you know, because I don't. If you, the Bible does not give us stories as a roadmap for how we're to obey. And let me assure you, let me say it again. <laughs> the stories of the Bible are not meant to give you a pattern of obedience. They're meant to reveal who God really is. Sometimes God 
us in the dark. And if you don't know this yet from your experience, you someday will. Sometimes life just doesn't make sense, and neither does God. And if you can't hear that, you're not listening. And if you don't know that, it's because you're not really living life then. Because if you live life the way, if you live life to the full, what do you find? What do you find? There's times when life doesn't make sense and God doesn't make sense. It's dark. And it's scary. I don't know how to tell you if you haven't experienced this, what it's going to be like. But we're, if once we see that, we realize what this story, begin to see what this story is really for. What is it teaching? What do you do when it gets dark? You worship. So around the gate, uh, the Bible describes a God that you may not particularly like and may not particularly enjoy at times. Because sometimes God cannot be understood. And he says to you, I don't particularly like to explain myself either. And he doesn't apologize. He is God. And you are not. Nowhere do I see his terrible majesty. Now, Follow me here. In that ancient world, you know what they used to do to babies? Tossed them into fire. You know that? You know what they used to do to babies? Molech. There was ancient worship everywhere that was evil, inspired by Satan himself, to take kids and offer them to the God. And these ancient gods were evil. They demanded that their, that their subjects sacrifice their children to. And even the people of God got caught up in these weird worship patterns. And by the way, this was the worship in Egypt. It was the worship in Assyria, in Babylon. You kill your babies. So it's interesting to me. Do you hear something else going on here? God, when he does this and he tests Abraham in this way, he's saying, I am not like those gods. I may sometimes even appear to be terrifying. But who is he really? He is not like those gods. It's an apologetic twist in the text. The text in a sense is God saying he's marking himself off from the evil gods that many people worship all around. Same thing is true today. People surrender their children for their careers all the time. They surrender for the things they love and their children languish and are destroyed because of the idolatry of their parents. Or, 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 they're kids who saw their parents worship in the dark. And they know how to find God when they can't see him. Isaac and Abraham are like that in this text. I want to prepare you for the dark and train your heart for worship. When you come to the end of explanations, what are you left with, Frankie? What does God say to you? We looked last week. What is praise the Lord? What is that expression we sang today? Alleluia. It is a command, isn't it? Praise him. And the command has to be heard in the dark. 
That's what he first received to hear. When you can no longer explain why death or disease or fear or pain or depression has an addiction had destroyed you or people you love, I'm going to call you, and the scriptures call you, and this story is meant to call you. Worship God when it's when you're in the dark. Let's move on. What sort of, we've asked the first question, what sort of God is this? Second, what sort of man is this? He's amazing. I, I, I read the story, you heard it. I, I wrote it in my notes. I, guys, I, look, I'm, I'm, I have notes and I have things I want to say about it. Do you understand? I, this existential crisis he's going, isn't huge? This is soul destroying stuff. Um, but I have an outline. Where's my notebook? Anybody see my notebook? My there she is. Just to prove to you all that I use outlines. What do I see first here? What do you think the first thing you should do in the dark? And what is, it, what is Abraham showing us? Get into, make this your routine. Here I am. One of the things I love about, about Abraham is his just mere availability for God. What he doesn't even understand what God is doing. That is one of the ways we navigate darkness. Is simply continuing to be available to him. And even in the midst of our, 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 the craziness of the sanity of the fear, just being this, this simple, wonderful availability, that's an act of faith. You coming, this is why I urge you and plead with you to come to worship again and again. Why? Because this is your way of saying this morning, Eric is saying, here I am. <laughs> it's our availability to God and to one another. And it is foundational when you're in the dark, Right? Because you don't, you don't have any bearings anymore when you're in the dark. You can't see up and down. You don't know where you are. Wait, I can train myself in the dark, though, to orient myself to his voice and his word and say what? Here I am. And that's all the worship Abraham has. <laughs> and it's enough. You know, sometimes when things are really banging at you, I mean, it's so scary. You think you're going to die alone. I mean, it's for all intents and purposes, you gigs up. I know that things are bad things are about to happen. And then, and then there's this, God is teaching us through Abraham and through this radical worship that he has to be available. Second, work back from clarity. What was the name that he gave him? He is the God who sees me. Don't forget in the dark what you knew and understood in the light. And in those good days when you're walking with God and you're in Bible study and you, you had a great thing, and maybe that was years ago. And there will be seasons where you wonder where God is for a long time. But remember in the dark what you understood in the light. And call it back to mind. And I'm thinking, and I'm imagining, and Paul tells us in Romans that he was locked into one idea. He was that this God could raise the dead. He had named him the living God who looks at me and watches me and sees me. He's holding on. He's white-knuckled. And his response is, here I am. He treats worship as obedience, do you? He 
treats worship as his obedience to God above all else. Do you? And then what does he do when it gets hard and dark? And this is what's so amazing to me. And this is what we're, how we're supposed to respond to the dark. This is what he's telling us. In the dark, when things go bad, when ruin is upon you, when your mistakes are chasing you, when everything starts to fall apart, when the loneliness gets to be too much, when your marriage simply doesn't feel like it's ever going to really work, right at that moment, you know, what does what Abraham do? And what's he teaching us to do? I see it. It's almost like he just doubles down on God. He just doubles down. He does everything to make that sacrifice happen. He, he assumes complete. He takes the wood. He has Isaac carry it. He, he has the knife. He has the fire. He has everything. He doubles down. He even has helpers to get him there. He just, he just moves toward the God who he feels has abandoned him. And I'm telling you, when God abandons you, you feel like God's abandoned you, your instinct is going to be what? Run away. <laughs> Run away to some idol. Run away and get high. Run away and, and, and go party. Run away and, and get what you want in life. Run away because God didn't listen to me and he took away what I loved. And I hope I never have this story amongst us about the loss of a child. He's just in your, pulling your hair out. And what does the Holy Spirit, what happens and what will worship do? And how can you be free in the midst of the dark and navigate it? I'm telling you, double down in worship. Double down. from what you know he told you to do. And believe me, we know. Love your neighbor. Walk with God humbly and worship him as he's called you to. And double down. Why? Because of the last point of this sermon. Abraham, this story's a horrible story. It is. It's horrible. It's a horror story. It's not a moral map. It's a map of worship. But more than that, it's a map to Jesus. And that's not a Sunday school answer. What does the Father call Jesus? My son. What? My only son. What is Christ upon the cross? The cross is an altar upon which a man was sacrificed for sin. And as the ram took Isaac's place, Christ would take Rochelle's place. And in the dark, he would die for Mike. And he would die for me in our darkness. What is this ancient, weird story in the dark about? It's about the cross. And it was a clue to every Jew who would ever live that the first worship mentioned in the Bible, the first worship mentioned in the scriptures is by Abraham worshiping the God who provides on the mountain of the Lord. And he would provide on that mountain. For the same mountain upon, I wonder, I wonder if we'll find this out in glory. If God will pull back the, the, the curtain for us and we'll see that that cross was actually erected perhaps in the very spot where Abraham lifted his arm. Wouldn't surprise me at all if our Father had done that. So finally, if you're in the dark and you're called to double down in worship and be available to God in worship and say, here I am, what's the answer here? 
Abraham gives up everything. And what does he get in return? Everything and more. He gives up the one thing he loved most. And what does God do in return? What he does to Jack, what he's done to me, what he's done to Peter. And he says to you, worship me, worship me, worship me now. Fall before me in love. However, however dark your life is. And even as he takes from us, what does he give? Even as we are so terrified, what does he give? Eternal life. A substitute. You see, what is the ground of worship? You see, God is creating for Abraham, and he's creating in Abraham a story that would create for us a picture of why our worship is possible, and why our worship can happen in the dark, and why we can hold on when death is there, and that we can stand before, we can stand before death and go, I am not afraid. Why? And why, why is Abraham not afraid? Because in the end, he's laughing. And his son is laughter. Because his son came out of a dead womb. Don't you get it? And he could see and he could imagine that he was going to walk back to those men even after he raised the knife because this was the God who raises the dead and takes a substitute instead of the real thing. Instead of me, he takes the substitute Jesus. And then we have a table and it's all about, what is it? There will be blood. This is an altar. This is an altar. We are today, we are here embracing the provision that Abraham spun around and saw in the ram in the thicket. And the ram in the thicket is the promise of Jesus. Because <laughs> in the dark, when I mean, you're facing your own darkness, you're faced with death and shame and dissolution and loneliness and depression. What are you going to do? worship him. Um, I have more I want to say about this, more that's coming out of my heart in it. Um, I'll end with this. I wanted to end with something about laughter. I was just erupting in laughter, and I can feel it. I get a giggle in my heart. You know, It's amazing, this turnaround. I thought I was going to die, and he dies for it. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful riddle of joy. And I'm going to end there. I'm going to end there. I want to end. I cannot wait. I cannot wait till this, the comedy is at an end. And we are restored in laughter. When we laugh to remember the darkness. Because we knew his faithfulness there. And we knew he was there all along. He even entered the darkness in Jesus and saved me out of it. Praise him. I want you to see from beginning to end what the scripture is calling you to worship. Praise him, I said. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I thank you for never uh, thank you so much that none of us have to have this test we have our own tests each of us and they're just as grueling I imagine for each of us but I am glad I have not had this test 
I don't know how I would, I know you'd give me grace for it, but I don't know how I would do it, Father. I know you gave him grace for it, so he would become a father of faith to us. You raised your son from the dead, just the way you raised his wife's dead womb. You would have raised Isaac. He knew that somehow. And in the dark father of death, in the dark of this city, would you give us new hope about your power? And would you lead us into worship? Would you lead us into the grounds of our worship, the substitution that happened for us at the cross? Would you lead us to this table with joy and laughter? Restore laughter to your people. Maybe we laugh at death. <laughs> laugh at the designs of the evil one. Laugh at our suffering. Because we have a Savior who conquered it all. I praise you, Father, in Christ. Amen. <laughs> You know, our crackers are gluten-free. Did you know that? All the most spiritual people are gluten-free. There's two boxes back there. One was called cheesy crackers. And this is an everything cracker. So I had a choice between a cheesy cracker and an everything cracker. And I told Gina, Jesus is not cheesy, but he is everything. <laughs> and I had to share that with you all. Thank you. I will not quit my day job. You see, it's never stopped. I know some of you, I know some of you this morning right now are in darkness, so I've been walking a lot of darkness. I know. I can count it. I have been there too. Don't you see God is setting up his altar in the church all the time? In the dark. In the dark of this city. What has God done in this room? What has God done in the darkness of San Francisco? Here in our church, here down, down the street of reality. That, what's he doing in the city? He is providing worship. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's providing his son in the darkness. Hmm. So, on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. He was beginning a worship there that began in Abraham. Worship of the substitute, our substitute, Jesus. And he also took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. This is our altar. This is our substitute. And we come and we gobble it up because we need something in the dark. <laughs> Because guess what? How many of you does it get really dark by the end of the day Monday? Raise show of hands. Yeah. Right? So, you know the drill here. I don't think there's anybody for this to be surprised, but if you're a good person, I'm sorry to tell you, Eric, if, you, if you're a good person, and if you imagine you're a good and religious person, and you come here to be good and religious, this isn't your table. This really isn't your church either. This, this church and this table is for sinners who trust in Jesus in the dark. All right. If you're a skeptic, then I, I just hope you watch and, and wonder what it would be like to know God the way we do now. All right.
You know the, you know the drill here. We're going to do the Apostles' Creed. Come get, get the bread and wine. Take it back to your seat. As we're, we'll find our song, our final song, and then we will we'll, 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 we'll finish our worship together. Will you stand? Brothers and sisters of, uh, of the church, of God, tell me, what, what, what is it you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.